This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. This is the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. I'm Daniel Norcross and welcome to the Test Match Special Podcast. We've had no play on the scheduled fourth day of the deciding test between England and the West Indies because of rain. So West Indies will resume on 10 for 2, chasing a very unlikely 399 to win. But the bad weather did give us a chance to have an extended chat with Carlos Brathwaite, who has been a pleasure to welcome to the TMS box this series. We talked about the World T20 final, of course. He took your questions and, as promised, he had a bash at reading the shipping forecast. Simon Mann was the host for Ask Carlos. You're listening to the TMS podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. Let's go back to 2016, March 2016. Actually, Matt emails us. He gets us underway with it, really. He says, hi, Carlos. Do you feel that your T20 World Cup heroics has led you to be unfairly pigeonholed as a white ball specialist and denied further test chances. Carlos has played three test matches. He's actually made half centuries in all three of those matches. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say yes. Um, I would have played two test matches before the World Cup final happened and then one after. Um, and with all due respect to my short test career, it was two, te- two tests half centuries in Australia against Australia, one in the West Indies against India. So hardly two poor teams. Um, but I just felt as though after the World Cup, the expectation was plenty sixes, not even runs. It was sixes. Um, and I personally have always said I love test cricket. And I just love the fact that when I'm batting, you can have four or five men behind the stump, one man at short legs, so that's six feeders out of your line of sight. Um, and you play good cricket shots, you get full value for your money. Um, and... During in the build-up to the 2016 World Cup, I was playing first-class cricket for Barbados. I was on a few test tours, and I just felt as though, for me personally, when I was playing the longer form, I was forced to get into better positions for a longer period of time. You did the right things in inverted commas. Not that you don't do the right things when you're playing white ball, but you're forced to make those good decisions a lot longer in red ball cricket. Um, and I think that was a good platform and a good foundation for me to then go out and be expressive in the shorter form and hit the sixes with the power that I have. Um, and then selectors, I guess, thought, uh, well, we'll go a different way in test cricket um, and we'll pigeonhole him, as is commonly referred to, for white ball stuff. Um, and it's something that I really didn't come to grips with um, for the simple fact that in white ball cricket, I was doing a bit of a job, a bit of both type of thing. I'd be fourth seamer, um, batting at eight. So then it was like, you're not really being picked for bowling. You're not really being picked for batting. Um, you can't really express yourself much with the bat. And you're just being called to do a job with the ball. And I was tidy enough with the ball. Um, but I felt I had a lot more to offer with the bat. Not many people would know by starting my career as an opening batsman um, and a top order batsman. And then fast bowling or medium pace bowling took over because of how consistent my lines and lengths were. And that kind of got me into the team. So I guess on one hand, um, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. It got you into the team. It was your downfall as well. But I felt I had a lot more to offer. And there's a conversation that I, I had with the chairman of selectors at the time. And I was saying, I, I didn't bowl well in test cricket, I can be honest. I think I averaged 230. I preferred that with the bat. <laughs> um, 
and they only got one wicket, but it was batting well. And it was batting in a way that teams have realised now that you need a number six, seven or eight to be able to bat. Be able, as not comparing myself to Stokes, um, one or Yota, but the way he's able to defend or block out a situation and then switch gears, I think I had that ability um, and I proved it. And I wanted them to show me some faith. And instead of dropping me entirely out of the team because of my poor bowling stats up to then, promote me in the batting order, bat me at six. Um, we weren't batting well at that time either. So if I had a chance to bat at five or six then and didn't score runs and continue to fail with the ball, then, I mean, I tried to be fair. And I would say I wouldn't deserve to play. But you dropped me being in good form with the bat um, to pick a bowler and keep playing batsmen who were in bad form with the bat as well. And that took me a good year, year and a half to make peace with it. I always had that lingering feeling that I'd get my place back. I turned on a CPL contract um, for the same 2017 tour of England. I couldn't, I, I couldn't see why I wouldn't be a part of the test squad. Turned on the CPL contract, preparing for test cricket. Um, never got a call, and I heard some guys... Um, telling me, oh yeah, they got their call and they're going to England this date and that date and this is the plan. I was like, huh? So I actually called the chairman of selectors then to be told, oh, you're not a part of the squad. And it was infuriating. Um, and as I say, it took a long time to make peace with it. But if you go back to the question itself, I would much prefer at that point in time for them to say, look, Carlos, you've been crap with the ball. We can't rely on you with the ball in hand. However, you've added something to the batting line which we think we need. We can promote you to six, and basically you're now a batting all-rounder. If you do score runs, you'll be kept in the team, and it allows your bowling to then catch up with your batting. If you don't score runs and your bowling don't improve, you get dropped. Yeah. I'd, be, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. Did, when you played in that, I mean, you played at the, on Boxing Day, MCG mm. Boxing Day, your debut test match, <laughs> I mean, you know, incredible occasion. Did you see yourself, when you went into that match, as a, a bowling all-rounder, genuine all-rounder or a batting all-rounder how, how did you see yourself then well I wanted to be a genuine all-rounder I wanted to be able to make the team without a bat or a ball um, but if I be honest I, with the ball I was a lot less penetrative than I would like to be um, and over the years like my consistency I'm happy with but there were a few things that I tried to change and it would have affected certain other things so I always had this thing for trying to get a bit quicker, trying to get a bit quicker. As a result, I would have lost some skill. Then you're trying to find back your skill, you get it yeah. back, your pace drops. What, what did you bowl at? Um, same thing, 81, 81. And I, I love to bowl long spells. So I'm happy to bowl at 77, 78, if it means they're getting eight, well, nine, ten overs, as opposed to bowling 85 and bowling five or six. Yeah. Um, so there were things that I felt as though if I had a longer run at test cricket, that it would have helped my short format game. But I wanted to be considered a genuine or be able to make the team to bat at either six or seven um, and to be able to be first change fast bowler if, if required. Yeah. You went into the World T20 in 2016. I, I looked at this. You played, you played those two test matches. You played seven one-day internationals and you played two T20s. Actually, debut was quite a long way before it's back in 2011 in Bangladesh yeah. and you had a big break played one more in Durban and then into the tournament so you'd only played two T20s before that tournament in India what, what, what was your role in that tournament when you, know, when you, you played all the matches you, you came into the tournament what, what do they say was your role in that tournament well at that point in time and 
that in 2011, I really didn't know my role, I'll be honest. I was just happy to be there, happy to be a part of the squad, happy to be recognised for the season I had before that. But I think going into the World Cup, I was a little more mature and understood myself a bit better. And then looking around the team, it was a team full of all-rounders, really. Um, and you had men that were flexible. So for me, I knew I just had to be the best me that I could be and be as flexible as possible. So you had Bravo that could potentially open the bowling and bowl a one-over. We had Badri that we know would bowl three of the first six from one end. You had Russell bowling at 90 miles an hour. Um, so we knew that Jerome Taylor was on that tour as well, bowling rockets. So I knew there might be a possibility of ball one in the middle. Did you definitely know you were going to play? No, I didn't. I wasn't even in the first squad. Mm. I, was, I came in as a reserve for Pollard. Um, but when we went to Dubai, we had some practice games. And I was I top of my, I peak of my powers, as you would call it, bowling-wise. I was bowling 84, 85 um, and hitting the deck hard. And I just felt as though my strength at that point in time was bowling that fifth or sixth over in the power play. Bowling two in the middle and hitting the deck hard mid-off up forcing guys to either try to run down at me and hit me over mid-off or pull into the leg side for ones and kind of halt the scoring and the momentum and then maybe one at the death. So I had a better idea of what I think I was good at um, and I tried to perfect that throughout the um, preparatory camp in Dubai. Um, we had some practice games and they bowled very, very well. It was against Zimbabwe and it was two intra-squad games. I remember breaking... Um, the window in one of the games, me and Ashley Nurse brought home um, a chef five over chase and they brought one of the windows in Dubai um, centre. But bowling wise, I knew I had to do running and bowl fast or as fast as possible, hit the deck hard um, for, that for, for that fifth or sixth over in the power play, the two in the middle, and then if I come in at the death, back my slow balls, my Yorkers, or the length ball. So I, had, I think I was better equipped then um, in the lead up to the World Cup more confident in what I know I could do best to then go out there and execute it. As a team going into that tournament, did you think you had a decent chance of winning it? Yeah. Um, so in the lead up to the World Cup, again, there was talk about, I think the board had changed the policy of how the players would be paid for ICC tournaments. So in the past, you could have made six figures quite easily. All of a sudden, then you're now being talked about paying, being paid a thousand US per T20 and all the senior players were like, but 2007 World Cup, 2011, etc., etc., guys were paid X amount. Why all of a sudden now with more money being pumped into the cricket, into the board, there is less money coming to the players? Um, so there was a conversation and I, was, I heard the murmurs um, and I messaged Bravo and I was just like, well, I'm a reserve. At this time I was still a reserve. Um, and I just want to know what the situation is. Why are the murmurs the murmurs? What is the topic of discussion? So I can evaluate for myself. Because just because you guys say you, you can do or not do something don't mean I will agree with it or I will go along with it. But I want to be educated enough to know what's happening. So he told me X, Y, Z, this is the reason. Um, I said, cool, I appreciate that. And I, I actually believed them. I understood where they were coming from. Um, and then a week later or so, I got the actual call to say, well, Pollard will miss out. Um, you'll come in. I think Sunil Narayan missed out as well, Ashley Nurse. So we were playing for Barbados together and we got the calls basically joint. Um, so then I messaged him again. and said, look, I've, I'm actually in the team now. I just want to know where you all stand. There was no official word of either not going or going, um, but I just wanted to know. He said, in his Trinidad twine, Carlos, we go into the World Cup and we're going to win the beep, 
World Cup. And they said, good. That's all I needed to know. Um, not only that they're in it, but they're not in it for the money, they're in it to win. Mm. Um, so that gave me some confidence. And then just before the World Cup, there were all these things, you know, pre-tournament, um, how do you rate this team or their chances? And no one gave us a chance no. to even leave the group. So it was just there sitting confident knowing these guys that have played IPL for how many years know they're going to win. And you all can't even see the experience that we have. So we did go into our World Cup believing that we could win. Yeah. I mean, of course, India were playing at home and they're very good T20 sides as well. They've got a lot of very good T20 players, experienced T20 players. I think a lot of people assumed that they were going to be the, the team to beat in that tournament. Yeah, I think if you ask the majority of people, they, they, at that point in time, they would have probably said uh, India, South Africa or India, um, Australia final. Mm. No one had New Zealand to do as well as they did. No one had England to do no, as well as they not. did. No. Nor West Indies. No. And there were three or four uh, semi-finalists. Right. Your group was England, Sri Lanka, South Africa... Afghanistan, and one of the notable things about it is you chased in all four of those matches. In fact, you chased in all six games. Every single game. Yeah, <laughs> of the World T20. You beat England in the first game by six wickets. You didn't, you didn't bat. You weren't needed. And the other thing I noticed is, well, you, you tend to just bowl a couple of overs. You didn't bowl, sometimes you bowl four, but often you just bowl two. Yeah, and I think it would be one in the middle or two in the middle. And then Bravo would wrap it up in the back end. Um, Badri would have probably broken the back of the top order. Um, and Russell and Bravo would have finished. And myself and Ben would have bowled in the middle. And earlier in the tournament, we'd played um, the extra bowler. So Jerome Taylor would have played as well. Whereas coming on to the back end of the tournament, he was dropped. And I think we brought in an extra batsman. So then they had to share more of the load. And Sammy hardly bowled at all. So I think when they realized Sammy wasn't bowling, and they had to drop Jerome Taylor. Then it was a, uh, well, with Jerome Taylor in team, it was a case where he was bowling two. He was bowling two. You know, like you could probably play extra batsman and Carlos bowl four, or Sammy bowls one. So I think it was more a case of having too many options in the in the um, the beginning of the tournament, and then just sacrificing one and giving me more responsibility. So you beat England in, in the opening game and Sri Lanka. I mean, you actually beat them quite comfortably, England and Sri Lanka. The South Africa game was a bit uh, tighter. Uh, three-wicket win. You were there at the end. Yeah, I, I actually, I don't want to say I enjoy. Yeah, let me say I enjoy that one a lot more than I did the finals. At least directly after the finals, just because I came into bat, we struggling a bit. Marlon knocking it to all parts again. I think he got forty something. But then when I came in, I just swung and missed every single thing, and I really put him under some pressure. Um, and that was actually when I switched bats. So we were playing in Nagpur. Wicket was a lot slower. Um, and David Visa was bowling, and he kept bowling these cutters into the wicket, and I, did, I was using a lighter bat then, and I just kept swinging and missing, swinging and missing, and I was just like, no, 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 again, threw the ball too quickly. So I called Ashley to Ashley, bring my other bat. This is the bat that I eventually continued to use up until the final. Um, and yeah, and then he, he finished his spell. Marlon got out, and I was like, crap. Is because of me. He lost all his momentum. I wasn't rotating strike, not getting the ball away. And then it was me and Ramden, last recognised pair. Um, and we just had to do it. Um, Sammy had come and gone, got a warm ball. Russell had come and gone. And just like, cool, now is the time. Robada obviously had a big reputation, still has. Um, and we needed nine off or ten off the last couple over, something like that. Or eight balls, something like that. And they hit him for six. Um, and then got a single. We need eight. 
get in for a six and then got a single seven and I just look good no ramden now only needs to get a single away and the game is won so the journey in that innings I probably 10 balls but the journey in that innings from how bad I was to eventually get in that six away to help us to get close to victory was real sweet, real enjoyable. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? How much pleasure you can take from a ten not out. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I know run you through, I know run you through every single ball in you ten. You can still see it, can you? You can still see it all. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you beat England, you beat Sri Lanka, you beat South Africa, you were through to the semi-finals. You lost to Afghanistan. And you know, we had a chat after the Sri Lanka game. Afghanistan had played someone, and they come close, and we were just like, you know, Afghanistan will beat someone. They're playing such good cricket. They will not leave this tournament without a win. And then we started to look at each other. We are last. Um, we can't let them leave with a win. But Chris Sato gave Evan Lewis his debut. Yeah. And we just let you know, we don't want to make too many changes and break the rhythm. But obviously this young man on the bench hasn't played a game. So much potential. Chris Sato. Um, and we lost. Chris let us have it at the end of the game. Um, and that's why rate Phil Simmons as a man-manager. He didn't come in and berate us. Um, I don't know if he and Chris had a conversation, but when we came in, we sat down. There were a few words you can't utter over here, um, and then Chris just stand up and say, look, you know what? Bum, bum, bum. And for the next 10 minutes, it was just all these faces, all these ears, and Chris was the only person talking. And I think, for me, that showed so much of the passion that he had. It was so easy to say, oh, yeah, we're through already. Forget it. We just lost to Afghanistan. And what was even more beautiful is that he and Mahamish Shazad share a nice little bromance. And he told him, if you beat us, guys, I'll do the champion with you. And he was down doing the champion with um, Mohammed Shazad. And it was all jovial. Little did anyone know right. watching that video. When we got back to the dressing room, yeah. It was the other side of Chris Gale, right. and he let us have it. Just explain the champion. Um, I don't know where Bravo got his song from, but I guess the calling champion DJ Bravo um, is not the most lyrically inclined song. Um, but for some reason, when it came out, it was synonymous with our journey. We obviously wanted to be champions. We were champions in 2012, um, and albeit me not being a part of it, um, I remember following it closely and wishing you guys well. And then for us to not even be considered and persons to write us off completely, um, it was just something good to look forward to. Every time we win a game, we sing this song. We win a game, we sing this song. Like, cool, let's win more games and sing this song. And that became synonymous with our journey. And it's just good to have like a little motto or um, a little anthem of sorts. Um, and I guess as much as that song helped us, we and our journey helped that song as well because it went on to get how much ever millions of views on YouTube and whatnot. So you lost by six runs to Afghanistan. So that was the sort of, the sort of kick you needed, really, was and it? I was there at the end, too. Well, yeah, you were. You, were, you hit a couple of sixes. In yeah. a, you made 13, two sixes in that 13. And then got out in the last over with, like, three balls to go, four mm. balls to go, something like that. Um, and I remember I hit a six, and the, second, the last ball of the second to last over... I pushed a full toss into the leg side and ran a single because the batting was bad rating at, at that time. Um, and this is actually part of the reason why New Zealand happened the way it happened um, here last year. And I remember pushing that ball and I thought to myself at that time, that could have gone for six. But in my attempt to be there at the end, yeah. back the last over, I said, you know, well, let me get on strike and let me be in control of the situation. Let me bring it home. 
Um, and yeah, I didn't get any away after that. And then just having a reflection with the guys, you know, they were saying, look, when you get to that situation, you sometimes have to trust your partner. If you get a ball like that and you can hit it for six, hit it for six, because then we need one run or two runs, something like that. Um, and you back your partner to get one and get you back on strike or you run a risky single or something. Um, and so, yeah, so then New Zealand happened last year and it was like... On this ground. Correct. Yeah. I, I'm not trying to get a single if I can hit it for six and Trent Bolt was um, yeah well it would have gone for six if he hadn't been there yeah naughty boy Trent Bolt <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a dram- absolutely dramatic I mean pul- pulsating game that that 100 against New Zealand in the World Cup last year and he just missed out uh, despite scoring a 100 um, Philip Taylor says I was at Old Trafford last year for the World Cup match against New Zealand where you hit a brilliant 100 and almost won the game. I came into that match as a neutral. By the end, I was willing that final shot of yours to clear the boundary. I was gutted when it was caught. Just wanted to say how much of a privilege it was for me to be there and see your innings firsthand. And what an amazing game it was. Appreciate it, Philip. Yeah, it was blowing, yeah. <laughs> trying to blow it, it was, over. It was down here. Was that way to our right-hand side? You took the catch or was it by the point? I, I was watching on television. I think, I think it was, it the was point, by was the it? point, was it? Yeah, yeah, because the, the temporary stand was... Yeah, the temporary stand yeah. was there and that side is actually a bit longer than this side. So the over before it hit Matt Henry, um, probably same distance, but it went for six to this side. Mm. Um, but that side probably two metres longer and he did not step back on the boundary the same way he did in the World no. Cup final. Well, there were some very good games in that World Cup, of course, and that was that was one of the, the thrilling uh, matches. And, of course, it, it had a huge bearing on how the tournament uh, worked out. And, but just back to 2016, so, it, so it, you, you came through the group, and then, of course, you play India in the mm. semi-final, and I presume uh, you were written off. Yeah, um, so my wife was there, um, and she was saying it was her. Clive Lloyd was chairman of selectors then. It was her his son, Phil Simmons' wife. I think Clive was there as well. Uh, there was about six of them in the box and they were the only people in the stadium other than us probably cheering for uh, West Indies. Um, and that was just a, that was a game filled with drama. I remember bowling, I can't remember my figures, I probably bowled four over. Four overs for 38. For 38. And it went into the last over, like something like three for 26. I was just thinking, it's not bad at all. You're almost going for 10 over, but actually, when I look at it, I didn't a damn good job. Mm. Um, and the well, drama, it was a high-scoring game, wasn't it? Yeah, I think they got 190. 190-odd, yeah. yeah. The drama started with bravo to Coley. Um, Coley played a miss at a slow ball. Ball gone through, bat and pad. Coley doesn't know where the ball is going and taking too much steps down. Rounding, collects it, underarms it at his stump, misses by... Uh, it goes to Bravo. Coley's so far down the wicket now that Bravo has the ball. Coley's miles out of his ground still trying to get back. Um, and Bravo underarms it from me to you, Simon. <laughs> and misses which, is about, which is about two metres. <laughs> and misses the stump on the other side of the stump. Uh. And we just like, oh my gosh, this could cost us the World Cup. Um, Coley went on to score, I think, 80 or 90 not out. Um, and I... It's, in small victories and I remember bowling at Dhoni and bowling wide Yorkers to him and it was literally the first time I've ever seen Dhoni walk across and play a nice little pick up dill scoop or whatever I was thinking damn careless you, you forced Dhoni to do that yeah. <laughs> um, so for me like, all them little things I appreciate and I cherish in the heat of battle um, and yeah I mean it then was Phil, um, not Phil Simmons Lendo Simmons straight off the airplane 
انت باعها I think three or four. And him and Marlon bought it three and four. I think he bought it three and Marlon bought it at four. Um, and he got three or four chances. Got 80-yard not out and brought the game home. Every time he thought he was out, stepped on the boundary. No ball. Boomer dived and caught him. Like, oh, my gosh, Boomer. And then he was walking off. Hold up. No ball. He just like, I looked at Ashley Nurse. He looked at me and thinking the same thing. Tonight is our night. Yeah. And yeah, after I think Coley bowled the last over, um, Russell hit him from Mumbai to Kolkata, and the, the stadium was quiet. Silence. Yep. Absolute. It was so silent that you could hear my wife in the background <laughs> <laughs> screaming in yeah. one of the videos as the ball was going for six. But then she said, like, people were so happy like obviously they didn't want you to lose but the conversations on her way out of the ground was if India had to lose we would want it to be to the West Indies and we wish you all guys well in the final and all that so you can't say you get a lot of love from the Indian fans as the West Indies yeah it is remarkable actually how quiet those grounds can go uh, if if India are not doing well or if India are being beaten in a, in a vital match it would, it would it'd be nice to hear a 30 second clip of the crowd when Kohli was batting versus the 30 second clip of when the ball was travelling for six um, yeah it goes from massive noise and you can't hear yourself think till you could hear a pin drop yeah I, I remember actually being the 96 World Cup I've mentioned this before occasionally but you've probably never heard it I remember Aradavinda de Silva dri- 96 World Cup semi-final Sri Lanka India Aradavinda de Silva driving the ball down the ground to reach his 50 and I called his 50 and normally you expect some applause and there was absolute silence so I thought I got it wrong because there was no <laughs> there was no reaction to his 50 whatsoever from whatever it was uh, 80,000 people at Eden Gardens I, you know it, it, Contrast that with the two players being caught at third man in the first over. The noise, uh, you know, two Sri Lankan openers caught at third man in the first over of World Cup semi-final. It was so noisy, again, that, that contrast that you were talking about. So India, India dispatched in the, in the semi-finals. Well, if you beat India at home in the semi-finals, you expect to win the final, don't you? We do, but even then, people were talking about... Um Owen Morgan and his team, how well he's led his troops. So there was hardly any coverage of what the West Indies had just done. From my memory, probably we weren't looking in the right places, if I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, it just felt as though we would never win. You can't into group stage, you weren't supposed to get out of it. You did get out of it. You played India. Um, you obviously weren't supposed to win that game, but you did. And then you're facing England, who just beat New Zealand. I think New Zealand went unbeaten in the group stage up until the semi-final when they lost England. And then it was like, oh, England is rejuvenated. It's not the same team that West Indies played in the first game. So again, we still weren't supposed to win that game. And yeah, more of the talk was about England batting and Owen Morgan's captaincy, Stokes and Jordan at the death, mm. um, rather than the power that we had shown throughout the tournament. Yeah, how did you prepare for that? Final. We'll, we'll actually, what we'll do, we'll do, we'll do the shipping forecast in a bit, and then we'll we'll have a look at that last over after that. But we'll just talk about the build-up to the game and, mm. and the and some of the game itself uh, before twelve o'clock. So, what, what did, how do you prepare for a, a World Cup final? You try to keep it as close to a normal game. Um, it's kind of cliche, or it's just another game. But I think sometimes if you put too much pressure on the occasion, you can be overawed by the occasion and not play the games. And for me personally, I find I tend to perform better in bigger games because I actually try to oversimplify the game. So, Carlos, it's just another game of bat and ball. 
um, is a must-win game. It's just another game of bat and ball. Every time some some uh, the, that thought comes into your mind that you're overcomplicated, you try to oversimplify it. Um, and yeah, I remember talking to my wife, and I was just like, I just wonder if I can play because I hadn't set the world like with the ball. I was doing a good job for the team with the ball. But if you look at stats, you wouldn't pick me off stats. Um, I just wonder. Mm, I probably had two wickets. Or one wicket in the whole tournament. Yeah, I'm just looking at it. I think you had one in the game against Sri Lanka. Yeah, um, Dilshan LBW. So but some tidy spot. I mean, two for six, two overs for 16 against England. Two overs for 11 against uh, uh, South Africa. Two overs for 21 against Afghanistan, and four overs for 38 in a very high-scoring game against India. Yeah. So if if you on the face of it, when you look at stats, you think, oh, "What's he doing playing? He has one wicket." But then listening to you guys after, you always try to ask senior players like. Well, you think about my spell record have it gone different, blah, blah, blah. And all the knockouts, you were amazing, bum, bum, bum. I think the odd four ball would spoil the figures. But when you look at the spells I would have bowled, it would have been very important and in, at important times. So on one hand, I was thinking, mm, you're going into the World Cup, find out with one wicket, will you play? But then you tell yourself, now nah, you've been bowling well. The stats probably don't show, but you have been doing a good job for your team. And obviously with the bat, they hadn't had much chance. It's just been South Africa, you win that game. Afghanistan, they managed to get over the line. So I, I absolutely, I wasn't 100% sure that I would play. Probably 90. Um, so then it was just, all right, plan as if you are going to play. It's just a normal game. Um, and then I got the, the team news. I was in. How far before the start of a game like that do you get the team news? Back then it was... I think we had a meeting because the games were night so you'd have a meeting you'd have a bowlers meeting and a team meeting and you get the news at the team meeting so I would have had time and it would probably be 11, 12 o'clock and then you'd probably leave the hotel like four-ish if I'm not mistaken four or five drive like an hour um, and then you practice and you warm up sorry and then you start the game so I would have had a, a few hours knowing that I was so in the only team. on the day of the game would you know you were yeah. playing yeah. yeah, and back then I used to lie in bed all day before the game. We get something to eat, um, the curtains would be pulled in total darkness, just trying to save my energy as best as I could. Um, so yeah, I just remember just laying in bed and thinking, all right, cool, got another chance to, you know, try to help the team to win. And again, I just try to oversimplify it. What are the basics? What do you need to do? Um, but I think in the practices, in the lead up to the World Cup, in that preparatory camp in Dubai, as well as all the practices throughout, it was heavily based on making contact as best as I could, regardless of the outcome. So I'd work a lot with Andre Coley. Obviously, when you come in the nets and you bat, everyone has like a little 20-minute slot to bat. But then I'd either try to find some time outside of that or I'd really try to break down that 20-minute slot into how many balls I would have faced how many times I would have made contact, regardless if it's a dot, a one, or a boundary, how many times you make contact. Because you get 10, 12 balls to face. You don't want to be swinging and missing three of those balls and then putting pressure on yourself to have to maximise the others. Um, and I think in the final, I think I only missed or didn't make contact with one ball and it was a leg bite, something like that. So for me, it was the combination of all that practice and that planning um, so the four sixes obviously didn't expect it to happen that way but when you talk about swinging and missing as I did in the South Africa game then I had eradicated that in the Afghanistan game as well as in the finals So when you, when you prepare for a, a, a T20 match I mean as a lower order player as what you were number you, 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 seven, you, yeah, seven. You, you were different 
um, numbers in the order. Mm. But if you're a lower order play, you're probably thinking you're only going to get maximum six, eight, ten balls to face, aren't you? Yeah, and, and more often than not, no, you look at overs. So what over do I want him to come into bat? Back then, I would probably not be batting before his 15th over, mm. sometimes even 17th over. So then I started thinking, if I come in at his 17th over, 18 balls to be bowled, let's say I get half of those, it's only nine. Mm. So how can I best maximise those nine balls? Um, probably looking for a couple sixes, so you're 12 off two. You might get a couple dots, so you're 12 off four. And then in those five other balls, how can I get as much as possible? So essentially... I can guarantee the team 20, 23, ball, 23 runs off, nine balls. So you're trying to see how best you can break down that spell. And then you may find yourself in a situation where, as in the, I did come in the finals with Marlon batting, you don't want to concentrate on your balls, your nine balls so hard that you forget the situation of the game and the person at the other end to actually be able to give them back straight. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of little scenarios, albeit only 10 balls, there are a lot of little scenarios that can be thrown up and it's how you can best maximise that small passage of play. What did you think of the target you were set by England? 156. Bear in mind, uh, you know, sometimes Indian pitches are very flat, but sometimes they can be quite hard to score on if the ball's turning or a bit slow, especially back end of the tournament where you know, some of the pitches have been played on. I didn't find the pitch play bad at all. I thought we bowled exceptionally well. We got some early breakthroughs and then we just never allowed England to build partnerships. So every time they build a partnership, we got a wicket, we got a wicket. But I didn't think it was a case where it was difficult to score and, you know, we should make it. I think I thought uh, me and Ashley would sit down, we'd have a couple of cups of coffee, we'd watch Marlon or Chris or Lendl as he did in the mm. semi-final, knock these runs off and we'd be World Cup champions. Obviously, you don't want to think, oh, we can be champions, we can be champions. But you're starting to think, hmm, at the beginning of the day, when we put these guys into bat, we'd love 150. We would not even have bowled a ball if you told us yeah. you have them out, out for 156 or yeah. defending or chasing 156. Yeah, I mean, you felt like huge favourites at the halfway stage, but it didn't, it didn't quite go like that, did it? And it, we were so surprised. We saw Joe Root and it was just like, yeah. this don't make sense. We were expecting David Willey to come and swing the new ball, um, Jordan to bowl a couple, then Plunkett, then Stokes, then Adu Rashid in the middle. You knew, you had an idea, especially based on how things would have gone throughout the tournament, the team they would have picked, how you thought things would have gone. And then Joe Root rocks up, spins it from hand to hand. Everyone went, all right, let's see how this will go. Uh, two wickets in the first over, and then we started to think, jeez, wrestling is never make it easy. Mm. Um, but once we get a partnership in, we're in a good position. It isn't too many runs, um, so we can always catch back up, and we could always still give ourselves that 10, 12 over in the last three, four, five overs, knowing the power we have, we have enough time to build a partnership, which is much different to chasing 200 where you have to constantly go, go, go. And then David Willey strikes, Lendl Simmons um, struck in front with three down. And then he started to think, Bravo hasn't scored much in the series. Ramden hasn't scored much in the tournament either. Sammy hasn't scored much. So you're thinking then Russell needs to come in. Um, and I may need to actually have a big part of the play with the bat here. Um, and then Bravo and Marlon back for a bit. Stokes had Marlon almost caught, but the keeper was actually given out. Um, then they reviewed it or double-checked it. It bounced short. He's starting to think that's one lifeline. Momentum starting to switch. Bravo did a decent enough job. When he got up, was the perfect time. Lost Sammy, lost Russell. Then he started to think, hmm, we're a little behind the eight ball here. Um, and I remember 
we were looking around and I was just like, nah, I, I want this moment. And I jumped out because we didn't really sure who was supposed to go next. Sammy was batting or just got out. Um, and it was me, Ramdin, and the bowlers. So I was just like, nah, I'll take it. Obviously, had previous with South Africa, was in the same situation with Afghanistan. And then, yeah, me and Marlon come to crease and I think we put on like 40 or 50 odd. Right, well, I can tell you, you came in with 49 needed off 27 balls. So it was 107 for six after 15.3 overs when you came in. Right, OK. It's that time, Carlos. Uh, Radio 4 Longwave listeners are li- listening to the shipping forecast. I think this is, this is a nervous moment for you, isn't it? Right, OK, well, have a, have a go at this. Right, this is, this is Carlos Brathwaite's Shipping forecast. Drum roll. Viking. Low Shannon 996. Expected 40s 987 by midnight tonight. Southerly 405. Backing southeasterly 5 to 7. Perhaps gale 8 later. Slight or moderate. Becoming moderate or rough. Occasionally very rough later. Showers then rain. Good. Becoming moderate or pro. Poor. Cormarty. Gale warning issued 2158 on Sunday, 26 July 2020. Northwesterly gale force 8, expected later. South, 3 to 5, becoming cyclonic. Then west, 6 to gale 8, perhaps severe gale 9 later. Slight or moderate, becoming moderate or rough. Showers, then rain. Good, occasionally poor. Fourth. Gale warning issued 0349 on Monday 27th July 2020. Westerly gale force 8 expected later. South 3 to 5 becoming cyclonic then west 6 to gale 8 perhaps severe gale 9 later. Slight or moderate becoming moderate or rough. Showers then rain. Good occasionally poor. Dogger. South 4 or 5 increasing 6 or 7 then veering west. Slight or moderate, becoming moderate or rough. Rain then showers, good, occasionally poor. Fisher, south four or five, backing southeast five to seven, perhaps a gale eight later, then veering southwest later. Slight or moderate, becoming moderate or rough later. Showers, good, occasionally poor. German bite, south four or five, backing southeast five to seven, then veering southwest later. Slight or moderate, becoming moderate or rough later. Showers, good, occasionally poor. Shannon, gale warning issued 1557 on Sunday 26 July 2020. Northwesterly gale force 8 expected soon. Southeast Iceland, gale warning 0334 on Monday 27 July 2020. Gale force 8 backing northerly imminent. Northerly 5 to 7, increasing gale 8 at times, but becoming variable 4 in west. Moderate or rough, rain, moderate or good. (laughs) 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 Sweating. (laughs) Jim Maxwell, our Australian colleague, will be very, very jealous of you. I think he'd love to read the shipping forecast, and perhaps we will get him to do that uh, one time in the future when he's with us. Well, you know, if ever the, um, the form goes, Carlos, <laughs> and you can become a Radio 4 continuity announcer and, uh, and do the shipping forecast. Yeah, that, that was fun. Yeah. No, I, I had to be real focused. I had to be real focused yeah. there. 
Did you understand any of it? Some of it. So I know I hear about Gail Force wins because yeah. of Chris Gale. Yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> the thing about it, the shipping forecast. I mean, I've listened to it for years because because it's you know it's on. You you wait for it to finish so you can listen to the cricket or whatever. You don't really know necessarily what it means, but obviously it means a lot to the p- people who are out on the sea. But it's got a it's got a lovely sort of there's a sort of lyricism about it that is is very beguiling. Yeah, I remember the first. I think it was in Southampton. The first couple of days, just like. Radio for long wave listeners and normally um, shipping forecast. I was like, okay. And I hear it again. I was like, Adam, what is the shipping forecast? <laughs> and it's only then that um, Ali stepped in and she was like, you know, this is it and there's this amount of things. I was just like, this is so cool. And I actually listened to it while I was in Oxford. I listened to like a five minute period of it and someone tweeted and said, it's calming. And I was just like, this is really calming. Yeah, it is. It is. It's very yeah. calming. It's, sort of, it's something reassuring. But even when it says Gale Force 10 imminent or something <laughs> like that, we left the shipping forecast with West Indies needing 49 of 4.3 overs. And then, of course, uh, they batted for a while, uh, Marlon Samuels and Carlos. We got to the last over, and it was 19 to win, and it was England's game. It was England's game. Ben Stokes was bowling the last over. England were on the verge of uh, winning their second World T20. Carlos was on strike. Ben Stokes was bowling. And then this happened. Here is the first ball of the final over. 19 needed. Stokes on his way from the far end. Bowls has hit away hard and into the crowd. It's gone for six. Can you believe it? 50,000 people are on their feet. The first ball of the final over is flicked in meaty fashion, I have to say. The very good shot from leg stump into the crowd. Oh, 13 from five. Jonathan Agnew with a commentary there. Doesn't sound very happy, does he, Carlos? (laughs) (laughs) He's so happy at all. (laughs) You can take it up with him. Yeah, in the the green room. Hey, what's up, man? didn't believe in me <laughs> well I think he wanted England to win I think that's probably what it was so yeah so what, as you started that first day what, what, what were you thinking 19 to win yeah so as it stood there Stokes was bowling the, from the end that would have meant I was hitting into the leg side to the longest side of the boundary um, so I figured they had been bowling Jordan wide Yorkers Stokes straight Yorkers for the entirety of the World Cup um, so they'd either go straight Yorker, um, which would then force me to hit straight or to that big side, um, or Stokes would bowl the odd slow ball into the wicket, take the pace off, again, forcing me to hit to the leg side. So he knew it was only one or two plans, but really and truly, I just wanted to get a good bat on the ball, get the ball in the air. I was actually telling my if I get if I get the ball in the air, we cross, you're on strike. Yeah. So it was more so me trying to get my own on strike rather than me trying to be the hero. When you hit it, what do you think? Six straight away? Yeah, I thought it was six because it was angled down the legs and mm. I basically just picked it up and that is the short corner um, at Eden Gardens. So as soon as I got onto it, I figured it would have gone for six. And funny enough, I had played a ramp shot the over before from that end off Willie. Uh, talking to Chris Jordan after, there was a little bit of decision-making around if mid-off should go back or if the fine leg should go back 
just because of that ramp. Mm. And Fine Leg was actually back. So once it got over his head, obviously it was six. Yeah. Did you think you had a chance going into the last over? What, what sort of percentage chance? Did you think it was, this is a bit of a long shot here? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to do too much calculations. It was more about staying focused, watching the ball, staying focused, watching the ball. I remember looking up at the, the board and saw 19 or six. And then if you start to think about it too much, then you yeah. start to calculate. So you just think, watch the ball. But when it becomes 13 or five... I didn't even look back up. After the first six, and um, in, in retrospect, that's something that I saw Stokes doing in the first touches I realized he learned from. The, the first three balls happened so quickly. We timed it. I was back in my, in my club in Ireland, and we timed it. It was like, something like a minute and a half or something. Like that. first three balls, so it was six, get the ball, ball, six, get the ball, ball, six. It's only between the third ball and the fourth ball when I think Marlon and Stokes went at it that it was actually a long time between balls. So it was basically on autopilot for the first three balls. Whereas, in hindsight, he would have probably wanted to draw the game out a little longer after the first six, probably bring fine leg up, yeah. send it back, and just give me more time to think and calculate and potentially even second guess. OK, then, 13 off five, and here we go. 143 for six, five balls to go, 13 to win. In comes Stokes now, bowls to Brathwaite, hits it high down the ground again. It's a huge shot. That's gone ten rows back. Up go the Rockets. And suddenly again, the crowd, those that were supporting the West Indies, have come alive. Uh, Brathwaite, my word. Well, they are killer blows. I mean, the game's not over. Seven but from four. To hit those two balls for six in this situation. Astonishing. That second one was such a clean hit. It was a monster. A monster car. That was Vic Marks with uh, Jonathan. The noise in the background. The yeah, I told you about yeah. the noise. Yeah, but no, that one came with the screws. I'll be honest. That, <laughs> I, I middled that one. <laughs> um, yeah, that, it wasn't. It wasn't his best ball, but it was. In, if I had to choose a hitting zone, if I had to set the bowling machine and I had to hit a six to save my life, that's exactly where I would put it. And yeah, I climbed into it and I got that one up the mm. screws. Were you surprised to get a ball there then? Not really. I mean, it is, it is the area that you would want. It's almost as though a metre fuller is the perfect length, but at that length, obviously, is a mating zone. you still got to hit it out the park, but it is exactly where I would want it if I had to hit a six. Mm. So 19 off six, you weren't winning the game. Now seven off four, really, you expect to win from there. But again, still, I, I, I wasn't aware... Alone, Mr. O'Rear. I wasn't thinking about the situation. What was ne- the situation was? I needed to get a bat on ball. Yeah. Or, or firstly, watch the ball, get a bat on ball, and get Marlon on strike. Marlon was giving it big ones. Bow just said it's not done. It's not done. Marlon was well, running circles. He said it was circles. over. He said yeah. it was over. Did he? <laughs> he was running circles around the stumps and around me. And if you know Marlon, he's not visibly emotional. So you keep things in and punch gloves, and you act cool, and you act tough. And after the first one, he was like, yeah, and he was excited and emotional. And after the second one, he bypassed me, probably gave me like a passing knot on the way, but he was around the stumps and back around me. I just like, Marlon, just relax. It is not over. Walk back. And again, there was so little time between balls that, boom, straight back into it again. OK, then. Well, let's listen to the next one. 19 to win. It's now seven to win from four balls. And Brathwaite is still on strike. 1.49 for six. Stokes sets off again from the edge of the circle. In he comes now, bowls the right-handed Brathway, who swings him over long off. Three successive sixes. Well, 
That's extraordinary. Three sixes. Stokes, Stokes he's just on his knees. He's on his knees. Three sixes, 18 off three. Any sympathy for Ben Stokes on his knees? Well, not at that time. Um, still needed a water run to get. <laughs> and I, I, would, I would never forget, I was, at Kings, I was leaving school and resting. We were playing South Africa at Kingsley and Oval, needing one run to win. And Charles Langefeld got a hat-trick. And that was the point in time that I told myself, no game is ever really over. So although we had one run to get, it was like, mm, don't get too high. But then they had a little break. Um, something with the ball. That one I thought it was out. I'd be honest. I didn't get that one good at all. Um, so he went to hit it the same place. The second one went. Bat spun in my hand. Kind of shanked it. And it ended up like one of those bad golf shots going um, over mid-offish. And it was hard in mouth for a bit. And then as soon as I saw the field, the back pedal he knew it was gone for the, six. The third six. The third six, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's only then... I think I was back into more than I think then they had the break um, something was wrong with the ball Marlon and Stokes were going at it Morgan got involved because they the had a bit of history didn't they those yes, two they did. Yeah, the old salute for example yeah. Yeah. and then he Stokes had told Marlon something when he came into bat obviously it was Marlon that, that it was Stokes that was bowling when Marlon edged the ball and it was almost caught by Butler or caught on the bunks um, so a bit was going on there and for me it was just like we winning I don't want the turn ugly and the focus to be taken off the actual victory. So he went down to the North Shore because I was like, Marlon, come, like, you know, we in the ascendancy. We don't need to prove anything. We're proving it right now. Um, so there's only in between that stage after the third ball, there was a massive break. I think it's like a minute and a half. And in a minute and a half in cricket terms, it's mm. very, very long. Um, then once Marlon came, we get mid-pitch. Tensions had ceased slightly. Um, then when it went back to me, to the crease, then it was obviously like England was just like, all right, you just need one run, let's get over with. Was the thing to do here, obviously, you bring up the field, you try to probably get me trying to get a single and a run out and you get a bit of panic or whatever. Um, so there was a bit of time, and it's then that I said, you know what, well, let me just enjoy it. Mm. You don't know if you'll ever be back here or in what situation, you may be on the other side. You got how much ever thousands of people. We were so grateful. We might think we somebody mentioned it at, um, at halftime that the West Indies women who had played just before us had stayed on to watch our game. So imagine they would have been mentally tense. They got into their warm up, played their game, won it. They would have done their celebrations. Have to be halted because our game had to play. And instead of going back to the hotel to celebrate on their own, they sacrificed their time to watch us play and just think for them for a moment if we, if we had lost then they can't enjoy themselves as they would like to because obviously yes they've won woohoo but you got to be kind of sensitive as well so we we had great admiration for them for sacrificing their time and their celebrations for staying with us so my wife was with them the families were with them and they just looked around and they give it the big ones the pumping of the heart and the badge and blew some kisses and stuff so for me it was just that opportunity to say thank you for the ladies and share that moment she was my girlfriend at the time not a wife but share that moment with your girlfriend and yeah i mean how many people actually think or think they would be involved in a world cup far less a final um and then you get the situation where 
you're about to score the winning penalty or shoot the winning free throw if there was a basketball world cup or in my case it the winning runs and you get the opportunity to share it with your girlfriend or your partner at the time uh yeah it was an opportunity and I just thought enjoy it even yeah. if i get out this ball you'd have had that um opportunity and you would have made the most of it yeah because that's a a sportsman or woman, you don't often get that chance just to to revel in a moment. You, you said there was there's quite a long time between the, the, the third ball of the over and the fourth ball of the over. That just that chance to sort of soak in the atmosphere, to realise what you were achieving. And you, you, you know, by, I know it was it was one or three, and you say you had that experience, Charles Langerfeld, and you know you always make sure you win the game. But you must have known that you were that that was it. You've done your job. Yeah, by yeah then. I, I kind of felt as though even if I don't get this ball for four, we don't get it a single, and we don't win, and I get bold or I lose my wicket or whatever. Like I still got faith that we've at least drawn the game. Yeah, and I know we got two balls to get one run, and backing us to get one run from two balls. Um, and yeah, and you, you start to think about think about when someone get knows they're making the debut. You fly the family to wherever they're going to play and they want your family to be involved. So for me, I had the opportunity with my wife or my girlfriend being there to actually share in this moment with my partner, with the rest of these women. Uh, me and Marlon had not gloves. Um, and Marlon was actually a part of the think tank to bring me to his CPL team in 2014. I played for Barbados originally. I was selected for Barbados and I played one game and Marlon brought me over for more money than I've ever seen at that point in time. Um, and for me to be able to share that moment with him as well, um, it was just like, cool. And I always knew he was a winner, as in he'd be the man, probably won't set the world alight, but when it's time, when it's real crunch time, you need someone to put their hands up, more often than not, Marlon would be that man. So it was a lot of little opportunities and a lot of little battles within those 10, I think I faced 10 balls. Yep. But all those little opportunities and scenarios were, were good memories. Well, let's hear the 10th ball you face now. <laughs> what an ability to produce it when it matters from Brathwaite. Poor Ben Stokes. I can see Stephanie Taylor there, the uh, yeah. captain. She's got the trophy sitting in the stands. And now Brathwaite on 28 weights. Stokes is on his way again. Virtually all the fielders inside the circle now. As Stokes comes in, bowls to Brathwaite, he hits it for six and wins the game. With four successive sixes in the last over. I've never seen that before. And England look utterly crushed as the West Indies players come rushing out onto the field. Carlos Brathwaite is an instant hero. There we go. Those were Jonathan's words. Carlos Brathwaite, an instant hero. Because Ian Bishop said, Carlos Brathwaite, remember, remember the name. I was just listening for <laughs> I forgot it was BBC commentary yeah. and not um, the one that I would have listened to so many times. I was listening for Remember the Name. I'll have to get Agus to say Remember the Name. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that was a good moment. Um, and I didn't even know it went for six. I knew the field was in. I knew it got a good bat on it. Um, and I just turned, hands in the air, head back. Marlon was on me as quickly as ever, hugging me. I sent it to him after. They said, look, you hugging up. Um, he was like, yo, 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 load that, load that. <laughs> so, and then everybody would run on. Um, Fletcher had been ruled out of the tournament through a hamstring injury. 
And when you look back at the video, <laughs> Fletcher was leading the charge, head down in a deep sprint. Um, yeah, all the boys just rushing on, and I think they got a cut to the jaw or something. Someone hit the helmet, boom, um, grill into jaw. But it was just a real good moment, a real good feeling. Um, and it's at those, those times in all pro professional sports, people could tell you, is at those times that time moves really, really slow and you get a chance to like, get feelings for so many different things and you talk, talk about not even being selected in the first squad to being called up to not knowing if your squad is actually going to take the field to Bravo saying, yes, we will. We're going to win the World Cup and then winning the game, actually being selected in the team, playing all the games, four sixes, it was a good moment. And they didn't even give you the man of the match. You took three for 23, hit four sixes to win the game, and Marlon obviously played very well as well at the other end. He was 85 not out, which yeah. is a fantastic effort. And the thing is, I really wanted the Hublot. <laughs> I, re <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted the Hublot watch. And it was just somebody asked me, um, do you, do you, um, do you think, I'd say that I don't really win many matches. Um, He's always the person that will come in and I will get the wicket to break the partnership. And then somebody else will go on and get five and they will get money match. I was like, but you probably have a good chance. Uh, but I wasn't like, thinking about it too much. It was about celebrating and stuff. Then actually, just like, you know, you just hit four sixes. I was like, okay, so you four from it for six. So everything was happening. Yeah. And then we missed Marlon for a bit. Um, and we were told, well, got money match he was going to a press conference an iconic press conference um, since then um, but yeah but it was just like jeez could have given Marlon the money match and given me the watch <laughs> here's a, a question from Matthew Warren what are your thoughts on the, the Carlos Brathwaite remember the name commentary um, no no I look back on it as iconic um, I'm a great privilege and pleasure but in the aftermath of it um, player test cricket got dropped um, and funny enough I got dropped from the one day team just after that as well and then it was a case of me trying to live up to the expectations put on me by media and myself really trying to put too much pressure on myself to be that hero every single time I played or batted um, and then people would come up to me and be, remember the name and I would always think crap it would always carry me back to those four sixes that made people remember my name, remember the four sixes, see what I could do. Um, and that is probably where the pressure started from. So it was, at first, it was cool. And then a few months later, and the performances started to dip. Um, then they started to think, crap, this is the source of the pressure. So it used to feel like a burden. It used to feel like a, I used to call it a little bit of a curse. Um, so people say we can remember you know like, uh, and it started like you don't want to hear it and all of a sudden from me and actually embracing it and um, and enjoying it I used to shy away from it a bit I used to fight shying away from that but also trying to live up to the expectation that that brought and it had me a bit of a conundrum it was only the last couple of years that I said you know what regardless of if you never ever do anything else in your career and I have done other stuff just not to that magnitude obviously then you would have had an impact on so many people in the West Indies um, and the way that you would have done it was a way that people remember for a long period of time it is a privilege to have that bestowed upon you so don't look at it 
um, remember the name or the forces is a burden or a curse, actually enjoy it. So mm -hmm. since then, people would have come up to me and told me all sorts of stories and now I can actually have a conversation about it because I embrace it. But in the, uh, in the direct aftermath of it, it felt like a huge yeah. burden. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I can see how that would, would happen. Uh, Bill Chidley, on the subject of expectation, he says, given that the 1980s West Indies team was the best cricket team uh, the world has ever seen, how heavy is the weight on the shoulders of the current generation? Is it a help or a hindrance, the rich history of West Indies cricket? Um, it can be a help because you find a lot of allies in foreign parts who say, I love West Indies. I grew up West Indies, watching West Indies do this, watching West Indies do that. So you, you, you find so many more people you can have conversations with about cricket, about past glories. Um, but it becomes a hindrance when people start to say, Kimar Roach is the next. Jason Holder is the next. And I mean, a professional sport with the way media is this, these days, you can't get away from it. But what I would have loved is if they had a better pathway and a better transition from the 80s to the 90s to the noughties to know where we are. I felt as though we were good. We took it for granted. After everyone stopped, we struggled. They then had fleeting brilliance, good players, legends. Then you had no one. Then you struggled again. And now we see wrestling spirit starting to pick back up in all formats. Um, and for me, the most important thing is leading from the 2020s, as we in now, to actually have a path where you watch Australian English cricket, past players, they go on afterward. They improve themselves with coaching badges and that sort of stuff, um, broadcasting, and they have an influence on the current generation. In my opinion, it may be controversial. I actually had a short conversation with Mikey Holden about it um, in the restaurant, of, I think, the end of the last test or something like that. I don't think as though the past players would have done themselves enough justice to be able to translate what they knew into teaching the present crop of players how to do what they did. They took for granted that because they knew how to do it, that they can tell us how they did it, and we'd automatically know how they did yeah. it. Haroon Rashid, I have a similar sort of subject, really, but um, could you tell us about any players you've come across whilst playing for Barbados or the West Indies who you thought had great talent but just sadly never made it? <sighs> so much. Shamar Brooks was almost, he was almost going to be top of my list. Um, Jed Yearwood, he scored the most runs in under 19 for Barbados in the season um, at regional level. I remember batting with him, he got 169. And I came into bat when he was like 80 odd, I made 22. And when I got out, he was 140. And the way he commanded fast bowling, whether short, whether full, swinging or seaming, you just thought he'd go on. Um, he had real issues with his weight and his fitness and he never, I don't think he's ever played for Barbados and he, he in my generation, he would probably have been the yeah. biggest miss. There was another guy from Trinidad who would have been just before me, um, left arm spinner, can't remember the name, but Shamar Brooks came back from his first on the 19 World Cup and saying, this is the best spin bowler he's ever seen. He was able to bowl four balls at that time and bowl all on a 10 cent piece. Um, different paces, different dips and flight. Um, Trinidadian born, I think, I think I mentioned, Trinidadian left arm spinner, and then he just had the hips and nowhere to be seen. Daniel Craddock says, I think Carlos has been fantastic on this tour, and I'd be honoured 
if you could ask my question. Well, there we go, uh, Daniel. As a fellow sportsman, does Carlos think that the devastation brought about for Ben Stokes in that final over at Eden Gardens was almost needed for him to become the genius he's become? His career seems to follow the classic narrative of a Hollywood movie, tragedy and loss, followed by resounding victory against the odds. And this is a question I was going to ask. Actually, a good question, Daniel. Has he talked to Ben much since? I you know, said to you, what, what was your... What was going on on the field there? But have you had a chance to talk to so right, Ben Stokes? Right after the um, right after the game. So before the World Cup, I'd said, I don't eat out as much as I should. I don't get out and enjoy the experiences as much as I should. And I want to start collecting players' jerseys that I play against and I play tournaments with and watch and all. So I'd made it my business to get a jersey from almost every single team that I played against from one of the players I would have admired. And before that game, I said, if we play England again, in the final, I'd want Ben Stokes' jersey. Um, and it just so happened the way it did happen. Um, so I called CJ after... Chris Jordan. Chris Jordan after the final. And I said, commiserations, tough luck. Um, he was real happy for me. He was like, if, I, if we had to lose, I'd want it to be the way that it was to my good friend, the way that he did it. So I really appreciated that. And they said, if I could talk to Stokes, if he, like disconsolate crying angry or whatever then fine but if he's cool then things like ah, everybody chilled um so apparently they had like this moment of just reflection and then everybody just like you know what let me enjoy the journey bum 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 and then they acted as though nothing ever happened they started to take jokes out of each other and what's not which made the dressing room real light so by the time i came across he was already in a better mood and we talked and i told him i would like his jersey and stuff and he said well played um, and I, I told him, look, someone had to win somewhere to lose. I didn't expect it to be that way. And he was like, nah, man, well played and things. So it was a, not a big, long chat, but a moment of mutual admiration. Um, and we, we speak a bit, um, but not full-fledged conversations, more how you're by, how things, how you're doing. Um, in Southampton, he had a little problem with his foot. He asked me if his foot was good, if he was wearing tennis shoes or the poly cricket shoes. So not deep conversation. Um, but I can't take credit for what happened to him um, he needs to take all the credit for how he reacted in the aftermath and you think something like short broad getting it for six sixes but you've rather seen he's now embarking on 500 test wickets there are these characters that might not necessarily need it but with that public humiliation or devastation they then go on to find themselves and get a greater purpose um, and I don't know if that was it for him um, but he certainly has gone on to show what he's made of and for him to get back up and, you know, almost four years later, um, completely 360 transform the, the image of himself and, and his meaning to the team and his leadership in a, a good group of players. You, you must salute him and give him um, great credit. I'm just trying to haul this out of my memory. Have you, have you faced him since? Yeah, for- <laughs> <laughs> very first ball the very first ball after um, so the World Cup happened 2016 the next time I would have played against him and actually faced him was I think the one day series in 2018 and the very first ball he bowled to me after that he got me out <laughs> in Barbados LBW ball kept a bit low he went back for a massive cut ball jagged back plumb in front 
So that was a bit anticlimactic. <laughs> That's the game of cricket, though, isn't it? Two last questions, Carlos. Uh, it's been a great hour or so, and I, I sense your voice is just beginning to flag a bit. Um, two last questions. Mary says, what are your memories of playing in Ireland? Did you try the Guinness, she says. So memories of playing in Ireland. So actually, Leinster Cricket Club, that's where I played, their women's group have a, a walk to Lords thing, so they've measured the distance from Leinster Cricket Club in Ireland to Lords, and everyone's going to walk a certain distance until they get that. Um, so credit to them, and I wish them well in their venture. Um, yeah, have fond memories. Um, so I used to love the Bulmers cider, but I think that was four, four ninety or something like that, four euro ninety. And I just remember thinking it was so cool to hang with the guys and drink this cider, and it tastes good. And then I remember someone buying a pint of Guinness for me. I think it was two euro or something like that. I was like, wait. Yeah. This ain't making much sense. The, Guin- the Guinness is more traditional to Ireland, I guess. Um, it's from the, the draft, and it's a lot cheaper. This could actually save me some money this summer. So I actually switched to Guinness just because it was cheaper. But I really love the Guinness. I don't like Guinness in Barbados because it's the bottle, um, but the Guinness in Ireland is delightful. Um, only good memories from Ireland. Um, me and my wife have been back um, to... Shout the boys last year would have been the 10th year anniversary of us winning the All Ireland. So, in Ireland, there's Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland, two different cricket unions and stuff. But there's a tournament that all the teams play, almost like a FA Cup type of thing. Um, and that was the first and I think only time that the club have won it. Um, and I was a part of it, so we celebrated it. Um, last year, I went over to Ireland for a little bit just before the World Cup. So, I still stay in contact with the yeah. boys. Um, and only fond memories, man. I, I kind of dedicated my line. If they didn't want me to find another Barbadian pro or another pro that I would have come across. Um, funny story. So Shubman Gill, <laughs> Shubman Gill would have shared a dressing room with KKR and he would say, you know, he wants to go overseas and test himself in English conditions. So I was asking him, would you be interested in playing in Ireland, club cricket? And he was like, yeah, you know, I, I really don't, care to be paid well I just want to test myself in the conditions over the course of a couple of months um, and I said I'll get on to some guys I play the club in Ireland they're a fantastic group of men I'll pitch you to them so I asked I asked one of the guys I won't call his name so he won't be ridiculed so I asked one of the guys I was like do your guys have a pros yet and he said no they're flirting with one or two guys still in negotiations so like, well Shubman Gill he's played for India on a 19 good record he wants to come to Ireland not massive payment, just, I guess, housing and stuff. And he was like, okay, cool. Um, does he go to university? I was like, Shubman Gill, <laughs> under 19 player. Um, India under 19, he's playing in the IPL. Da, 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 da. He was like, all right, cool. Well, if he wants to come over and do university, we'd be happy to try to help him to get into university. We'll give him a job. And I repeated it about three times. And every time he came back with this scenario about Shubman Gill working part-time, um, when I went over last year and I told the guys about it and obviously by then now Shulman Gill had skyrocketed yeah. he finished the IPL with Definitely. all these big numbers and he's since played for India everybody slated him he, he yeah. was he was the villain of the summer last summer uh, so good story because they, they missed out on him because they missed out on him they yeah. could have had Shulman Gill for yeah. a whole summer um, but yeah been, they've been good to me and I look back on my time in Ireland with fond memories last one Carlos mm-hmm. for now anyway uh, from Stefan can you name all the T20 teams you played Jeez. for no I probably, <laughs> <laughs> I probably can't 
I'll try to name, I'll try to name 10. So the T20 teams in the Caribbean, Barbados, because he was a Caribbean T20, so he played for your country. And then in CPL, he played for Barbados, Tridents, um, Antigua, Hawks, Bills, St. Kitts and Nevis, Patriots, um, and have been just drafted to Jamaica Tallowers, five in the Caribbean alone. Um, <laughs> in England, play for Kent, um, Australia, Big Bash, have played for Sydney Sixers and Sydney Thunder. Um, IPL. So that's eight. Yeah, IPL, Delhi Daredevils, two years, Sunrisers, Hyderabad, and KKR, yeah. 11. Okay. Jeez. You forget, you've forgotten the Quetta Gladiators, the Kulna Titans, and the Lahore Kalenders, mm. and Peshawar Zalmi as well. Yeah. Not forget, left out. Left out, <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. I don't want the fans to feel I forgot about them. No, I had some good, had some good times, man. I got a lot of good memories mm. from it. I don't think I had a team where... I felt as though he desperately wanted to get away from them. Mm. Always had decent memories and decent um, relationships. Well, you've um, provided some fantastic memories over the last, well, actually it was an hour and 20 minutes. That zipped by, or perhaps it didn't, I don't Time know. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, wonderful memories of, of 2016. And, you know, from now until the day you die, you'll better remember that, that moment that I mean, you achieved something incredible there, really. Yeah, I appreciate it. And as I say, now, now the, the thoughts have changed more to a privilege. Um, it is a lot easier. It's a lot easier cross to bear, as you would say. Um, so I actually like to listen to people coming up to me now and say, oh, I didn't think, they think you could do it. Or I, thought, I always thought you could do it. Um, and people just come up and sing to me and say, oh, it was this place or that place and this is the situation or whatever. So it's, it's fun. This is the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. Wonderful to hear all those stories from Carlos Brathwaite. He'll be back with us for one final day. Join us from 10.45 for the last day of the series. And check out BBC Sounds for a Tuffers and Vaughan podcast and a look back on the Gooch 333 test of 30 years ago today. All the details on the BBC Sport website and app. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Jürgen, Jürgen, you're a big fan of the BBC Sounds app. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, we've heard reports that you've been enjoying the Football Daily podcast on here. I loved it. That makes me quite happy, to be honest. Jose, Football Daily is bringing top analysis and comment on BBC Sounds. How do you feel about that? Of course, it's the best thing in football. Are you a fan, Oli? Yeah, I love that. Wow, this is massive. Pep, Football Daily has some big-name guests. Are you excited to listen? This is good news for us. The team is really good. Listen to the Football Daily podcast on the BBC Sounds app.